episode 15 of the Going for Broke Outdoors podcast, a podcast by an outdoorsman for other outdoorsmen. I'm your host, Jeremy Gillespie. In today's episode, we catch up with Justin Wright. Justin is a returning guest previously featured on episode 7. Justin's an incredibly humble guy and back to share more knowledge about his tactics. Justin has been crushing big public land bucks consistently year after year, and today's episode we focus exclusively on the early season. Justin and I discuss how he makes time to fit deer hunting into his life with an extremely busy schedule, which includes a full-time job, a wife and young child, and still manages to find consistent success on big deer. We also revisit the importance of in-season scouting, which is something Justin and I covered extensively in episode seven. And specifically, we also cover the subtle clues that can tip Justin off to a big deer's core area in the early season. We discuss trail camera placement for the early season. We also discuss Justin's views on the impact of weather on early season hunts. And specifically, Justin has some interesting observations on how humidity impacts his decision to hunt or not in the early season. And then to close out the podcast, we discuss Justin's goals for the upcoming season. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to thank everyone who's been tuning into these podcasts. Last night, Garrett Prawl, also known as the DIY Sportsman, joined me for what I think will be a really great episode coming out here in the future. I'll be off elk hunting the third week of September, so I should have the episode with Garrett out in late September. If you don't want to miss that episode, you can follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app or subscribe to my YouTube channel to be notified when new videos and podcasts are released. Again, I appreciate the support, and let me know if you have a favorite hunter that you'd like to see as a guest on the podcast in an upcoming episode by leaving a comment. Today's podcast is brought to you by Stealth Outdoors at www.stealthoutdoors.com. Visit the Stealth Outdoor store to outfit your mobile hunting setup with some silencing gear. Archery seasons are opening across most of the country, and this is going to be one of your last chances to upgrade your mobile hunting setup before you get out there for the opener. There's no better products on the market for eliminating unwanted noise in your mobile hunting setup. Stealth Outdoors manufactures an incredibly durable product for a great value. Designed from the ground up with a mobile hunter in mind, Stealth Outdoors manufactures climbing stick wraps, cam buckle covers, platform cable wraps, and stealth strip rolls for all of your miscellaneous silencing needs. Head on over to www.stealthoutdoors.com to check out the product lineup and to place an order today. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Backwoods Mobile Gear at www.backwoodsmobilegear.com. Backwoods Mobile Gear produces an array of products to completely customize your mobile hunting setup. Backwoods Mobile Gear's product line includes climbing aiders like their multi-step aider and verse aider. Climb higher using the same amount of climbing sticks with climbing aiders at a fraction of the weight of an additional climbing stick. Backwoods Mobile Gear also offers a variety of Amsteel rope solutions from daisy chains for climbing sticks to Amsteel gear hangers. Replace those bulky straps and hunt-ruining metal cam buckles with buckleless and lightweight Amsteel products from Backwoods Mobile Gear. Check out Backwoods Mobile Gear at www.backwoodsmobilegear.com if you want your setup to be lighter, to take you higher, and to keep your gear tighter. What do you get when you combine a prototype machinist, who also happens to be a big buck serial killer named Dan Infault, with state-of-the-art manufacturing techniques, the highest quality materials, and innovative designs that have been engineered, field-tested, and refined to perfection by a group of the best mobile hunters on the planet? You get HuntingBeastGear.com. www.HuntingBeastGear.com delivers cutting-edge products, including beast gear climbing sticks with weight reduction holes that are designed to deliver incredible durability in a lightweight stick. Beast Gear Climbing Sticks also feature non-staggered inline stacking and double steps, all in a 2.2-pound package, including the fastening strap. 
And new for the 2021 season, HuntingBeastGear.com has released the game-changing Beast Gear Hang-On Tree Stand. Designed from the ground up to be the ultimate hang-on solution, with four years of prototyping, testing, and refinement, the Beast Gear Stand features a 16-inch wide by 29-inch long platform and comes in at an incredible 6.8 pounds without compromising strength or durability. The Beast Gear Stand is finished with a durable, anodized coating and features grade 8 hardware, high-quality Delrin washers, beast buttons, and adjustment knobs. For more details or to place your order, head on over to www.huntingbeastgear.com today. Now, on to the podcast. So, got Justin right on the phone today. How you doing, Justin? Doing good, man. Doing good. Ready for the uh, season to, to roll around. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Uh, got an early start here for me that actually opens this Saturday. So, before we get started, though, I want to say thanks for taking my call today. We've been in contact lately and I know it's been an extraordinarily busy year for you. And I'd like to actually start out talking about that because I think it's something that just about every guy can relate to. So the first question I have for you is, what type of actions are you taking to ensure you still have the best chance possible at a good buck this fall despite being busier than ever? Man, sacrificing a lot of sleep. <laughs> you know, I've taken every measure that I can to to try to, you know, put the odds in my favor. It has been a little bit more difficult for me this year. I'm way busier at work. Um, my wife's scheduling and stuff is kind of changing. And, you know, my little girl's getting more and more involved with more sports and more activities after school. So, and those are things that I refuse to submit. I've always told her that, that I would never miss anything like that um, to go hunting. So, man, it, I mean, it's even been, you know, late, late evenings very late even trying to run out and see if I can cut a trap on the field edge or, you know, I have been using the trail cameras maybe a little bit more this year to my favor, you know, just trying to, to do some inventory and stuff like that, trying to find a good mature deer. But uh, yeah, I ain't going to lie. I'm probably a little less prepared this year than I, than I normally am. But I also, you know, I, I like to hunt and still hunt my way into things too. So I'm not, I don't know how to put it. Like, I'm not too worried about it. Like, I'll hunt around, and you know, and if I don't see what I like, I'll bounce to, to another place. My, I think my biggest concern is going to be how much time am I actually going to get to hunt. Sure. So you mentioned two things there specifically, cutting tracks and using trail cameras. So talk to me a little bit about what those strategies look like for you specifically. Let's start about talking about tracks. Cutting a track, that's pretty self-evident. But what are you doing if you find a good track? How are you relating that to, or how are you using that intel to plan your early fall hunts? So some of these, well, most of these areas, I'll say, are, are places that are pretty close to home, you know, within that, we'll say, hour and a half anyway from home. So I'm pretty familiar with them, you know, already. If there's a good deer in the area, I, I likely know where he is going to be spending some of his time if he stays on the, the you know, public land. So I, I relate it back to, you know, previous years, previous scouting that I've done. And I feel like if I can cut them in certain specific areas that odds are, you know, if they're around that area, they're, they're going to be in these certain few places that just don't receive the, the pressure that some of the grounds are, are getting nowadays. Like I said, that's been ramped up quite a bit in my area. The pressure is, is really increased. So, which it, can work to your favor i think you know it can really if you can find those pockets where where people just aren't going that's a 
pretty good chances where you're going to find your bigger or older deer at. Yeah, and that, that's actually a great segue into something else I wanted to ask you. You've obviously had a lot of success taking down mature deer, and you talked a little bit about being familiar with these areas. So how are you leveraging your previous experiences heading into the early season? Specifically, are you hunting a lot of locations you've had previous success in? And you talked about finding those tracks and then kind of knowing where those areas are. So let's take it back a, a few years or maybe several years. What were you doing at that time to locate these areas? And, and what have you learned about those areas over the years? Something that maybe, uh, let's say I'm a guy going out and looking for new areas. What are those early season areas? What sticks out to you now uh, looking back on those? Well, for the early season, like our opener is September 15th. You know, and, and that varies so much on where these big deer are because there's so many different things changing there. Um, it could be a, I don't live around a ton of ag, but there is ag here. And obviously that's a pretty big draw if you have a soybean field. That's also about the time that, you know, some oak can start dropping too. So, you know, there's a lot of things to take into to account there, I think, when you're trying to figure this stuff out. But for me in the past, when I was out scouting, I mean, I pretty much was looking for the, the buck core areas, you know, the buck bedding areas and stuff like that. And I'm doing this more so in the springtime. And then I'm kind of relating it back to, okay, so there's a, there's a field down here, you know, if it's, if it's soybeans and this is the closest best buck bedding area that I'm finding. And I, I find one in there early season and early season. I mean, sometimes in deer lane, 20, 30 yards right off in the field. I mean, if there's a creek or something nearby it, they're literally, you know, they'll go out there, they'll feed a little bit and come back, and that's even on the public land. But once the season kicks in, even a week or so before season, it seems like more guys are getting out there and they're starting to put some stands up, they're running trail cameras, they're walking around looking for, you know, signs. So that pressure, it doesn't take them long, from my experience anyways, for them bucks to adjust. And I'm just relating that back to that, that area that I found. And so, I, you know, a lot in the past I made assumptions on that's probably where they're going to be. Sometimes I was right, sometimes I was wrong. But for the most part, if there was a mature deer in that area and he was going to stay on the public, that's pretty much where I would find him. You know, it, it would be in those areas that not always littered with signs, but you just kind of look at it. It's a thick area, you know, if it's open woods or whatever, it's the thickest area around. It's an area maybe it's kind of hard to get to. Gosh, I can think of several areas that they've even got, guys got ribbon tape coming in through the bottom right through the bottom where this buck is, is bedding up at. And, you know, in the buck playing up there and they're watching, watching this guy in up through there, you know, and obviously they're, they're, you know, they're out back going the other way. Then they, they're, they're really good at monitoring people. I think they're better at pattering us than, than we are pattering them. So I would use that. And then, you know, even scouting, man, this is something that I got to give him credit for because he said, but I found, uh, Joe Elzinger had, you know, he said, if you find a dead buck, especially if it's a mature buck in an area on like a point or or a thick area or, or whatever it be, there's a good chance that that buck, you know, maybe he was shot, wounded, got hurt in a fight or whatever it be, and he ran back there to die in his secure area. I have totally 100% found a few buck bedding areas, and they've been really good ones. Very, very little sign around there. Sometimes even made me scratch my head as to why they were there. I go back and hunt them, and sure enough, I mean, there would be a, a good animal in there the next year, the following two years or, or whatever it be, you know, but, uh, 
so yeah, a lot of the, you know, the typical spring scouting, finding these areas, getting familiar with them, and then just kind of relating those type of areas back to the nearest soybean field, um, you know, and crop rotate every year. So the more of those areas you can find on a piece of public, even if you hunt it in, say, 2019, and there's corn over here and this you know the buck bedding area that you found 300 yards away from there when it's ice cold that year but the following year it's got beans in there you go back don't don't write it off in other words i guess is what i'm saying kind of have to think about the bigger picture and we can be hot in september and the more and more i paid attention to it the more i've looked at things look back on you know camera photos look back on even just hunts and scouting and stuff i've picked up a lot of deer the more I see these deer really favoring these low creeks or river bottom areas where it's cooler down there, they're near some water and get up and, and go get them a drink at any point in the day. I'm finding more and more of that. And I've really been paying attention to that this year. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, I was out doing some scouting and uh, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but no, go ahead. I was out doing some scouting and uh, I, I really wasn't too familiar with this area. I kind of wrote it off due to where it, where it was, you know, it's kind of close to, to some access and scouting through there. And then I jumped up a couple. I can't say for sure if they were mature deer, but one of them I, I'm pretty certain was. Either way, they, they were good deer. They were good animals, and they bounded up out of there, you know, which kind of shocked me at first. But then I, I thought about it. I'm like, well, you know, it's 93 degrees or something out here, and down in this area. So it's like a 15, 20 degrees difference down in here. I mean, it's just cool, shaded. They had nice running water in front of them. They were literally laying on, um, you know, kind of like on a oxbow with a creek there where it made a little oxbow. And so, it, you know, it's an eye opener for me. And, and I'm not going to forget it when season opens either. Yeah, it sounds like a promising spot. I want to unpack a few things that you said in your answer there. The first one is I want to talk to you about early season areas that you've had success if there are any have you had any spots year after year where you've consistently encountered either mature deer or bachelor groups um bachelor groups yes i will say that trying to think on mature i can't really say for sure on the mature yeah i guess i have too but it's it's always i'm gonna say year after year it's usually one year they've got soybeans in this field and then maybe the following year they have corn there, so then that area isn't as favorable. Or you know, it could be wherever the next soybeans are at. Sometimes that's you know isn't even on the public, uh, so you may not even have any any bachelor groups or whatever in that area. Or if they are, they're off on the public on ground or on the uh, sorry private that I can't get to. But yeah, like say you know say you have in 2018 a good you know, that's a group of bucks over here, there's a soybean field, and then uh, in 2020, you know, they, they throw it back in soybeans and, and they're back in there. I have seen that, definitely. It does seem like that there's still those certain areas that are favorable for even bachelor groups of bucks. Like, they just, they have these areas that if the conditions are right, that's, that's where they're at. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm going with the question. So, two or three of the best spots that I had in Michigan specifically for the early season there was very little sign and I actually found these spots through essentially observation sits you know speculating going out and putting a stand up in an area that might pay off 
And then over time, I found a few of these areas. So I'd like to know how you found the areas that you've come to find that have consistent bucks in them early season. You know, like I said, maybe not every year, but every other year, every third year. Was that through a direct result to your scouting, observations, or some combination of that? 90% of the time for me, it is my scouting. Because if I don't have any anything that I feel like worth going and hunting early season, man, I'll take those days if I have a, a Saturday or a Sunday, a full day, and I'll just go out and I'll just pound some ground. And I'm literally, I know I've said it before and I hate to say this, but I'm literally going around and I'm, I'm trying to more or less jump or, or run into or either hit some hot sign of what I think or believe is a mature animal. And I'll move until I, you know, until I do, unless, like I said, unless I run into some sign or something, then I'm going to slow down and maybe try to toss a hunt at that area if I can speculate or, you know, if I think they might be nearby or something, then I'll slow it down and maybe try to throw a hunt in there. But yeah, mainly through scouting. Um, our ground just isn't favorable. At least the public that is near me, I'll say, isn't really favorable for glassing. I've talked to a few buddies about this even. So like we're, you know, we're hilly ground here and even like the bag fields and stuff are usually on like hills so you can maybe you can watch one side of a bean field or, or watch the end of a, a bean field or something I mean, very seldom can you watch an entire field if it's if it has any size to it at all and what i've also found is it's so hard to get in to watch these areas that you know in the evenings like a mature animal do if you're anywhere along that field which you almost have to be in order to see in it man when those thermals start falling those deer seem to come out in that area and i have been busted i've learned my lesson the hard way on this i've been busted from some distances that i was just like there's no way possible that animals don't me from that far but there's nothing else that was out there other than me so it had to be me right well you just touched on something that i think is really important too is in season scouting and even in the early season something i've found is during the early season signs a lot harder to come by so you know it's not late october early november where there's rubs and scrapes all over what are the types of sign and the clues obviously you're going to be more detail oriented this time of year what's tipping you off that this is an area i want to hunt early season and talk about maybe the amount of sign are you are you seeing uh does it take less sign laid down to get you on an early season hunt than it might in say late october early november sure you know i love to find rubs because i mean you know these deer haven't been hard antlered normally they haven't been hard antlered more than uh more than a week or two max. I mean, usually around here, I think it's around the, according to what I see on trail camera, around the fifth to the tenth time frame that they are, uh, they're, you know, rubbing off their velvet. So, sign is a big one. And obviously, I'm kind of paying attention to not so much the, the diameter of the tree, but, you know, if this tree's, if it's rubbed down real low to the ground, which is 90% of the, the ones that I do find, unfortunately, but, you know, we don't have a, high number of mature animals either but if it's a decent looking rub like if it's decent height on the tree and it, it doesn't take too much of that to get me excited um obviously you know where it's at where it's located if i know if i see that near like a, a bean field or something early season if the nearest buck bedding area is a quarter mile away that i know of unless i can speculate or something on a, a spot that may be closer that they could possibly be you know, I'm probably going back and I'm going to work my way back toward that, that bedding area that is 
you know, of a good distance away because, I, you know, I think they'll travel. And I, like I said, with the pressure and stuff like that, I think it, I think them deer will, uh, they'll push back that far, you know, and, and travel back into those fields like that. So, yeah, a sign, usually it's rubs. If I can cut a good track, uh, that's always my, one of my favorite. If I can see a good clear track, you know, and that's showing some size to it, that really gets me excited. But, um, scrapes and all that stuff, I don't usually don't see that on until, October time frame. So the rubs would be a big one. I'll say rubs would be one of the biggest that keyed me in and led me to some success on deer that I didn't know was in the area. And I've noticed some good rubs in an area. And again, tied it back to the, the best bedding area that I know about in that area. And I wanted to ask you one follow-up question there. So when you say, if you know the best bedding area is a quarter mile away from that bean field and you see some rubs, you said, I'm going to work my way back. Now, when you say work your way back, do you mean you're going to work your way back that day and hunt right near that bedding area in your first hunt? Or are you going to work your way back stage hunting? Like one day you're going to move in 200 yards and then the next day, 200 yards past that. What did you mean there specifically? No, due to my time on, uh, on you know, the time I get the hunting, especially this year, if I run into that scenario, I'm going to try to get back there. But working my way back, I was more so meaning hopefully I can find a, a rubber two as I work my way back in toward that, just confirming that, yeah, he's probably coming from this area. At least I hope to do that or I'll cut through some, some lower, uh, like drainages and stuff like that, trying to hopefully cut a track. A lot of times what I used to do too, is if I knew of those bedding areas like that, I would always scout outside of them and I would try to locate like a crossing that had a good rub or two on it you know that showed that this is where that big deer if he's in that area like to cross that so I'd work my way back toward those you know and I always felt like that I'd find them outside of a safe distance you know to check on those and then check that sign around there and then if it you know if I saw something there promising then I would move on in toward where I had uh, picked the set up when I was scouting or, or whatever it be you know the how close you can get and all that's relative to, you know, so many different things, the wind speeds, uh, how dry it is and, you know, and foliage and all that. So we talked about that a little bit on our first podcast and that was one of the really big takeaways or nuggets for me from that first one is when you talked about in season scouting and we were discussing how do you get close without getting too close. You specifically brought up that crossing and looking for signs, you know, tracks, rubs, potentially putting a camera that's close enough to clue you in, but not so close where you disturb that primary bedding area. Sure. I've done that a lot over the years. That's really been good to me. Um, as far as that, you know, I've had a lot of success on that. Now my problem is just finding a mature deer to, to try to target in an area and look for him in there. But, but I'll do that. I still do that to this day. I'll still check certain crossings in certain areas that, you know, may, they may have a rub or, or hopefully you can cut a decent track along them or something. Well, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. I know that you've hunted out of a tree stand, obviously a saddle and off the ground. Do you have a preference early season between those methods? And if so, why or why not? Or are you choosing your hunting method specifically based on what that area presents? Probably more so what that area presents. With the saddle now, I mean, I love that thing because I can literally, I, I can carry everything on my back and I still feel like I can be effective on slipping around on the ground. See, in the past for me, that was always a big tangle up. Like I'm slipping through this cover and I've got this big, at least it may not be heavy, but this bigger platform on my back and it's getting snagged and caught on everything as I'm going around. So it was just, 
there's a real big inconvenience for me, so I always seem to just kind of find a way to stay on the ground a lot of times. But with that saddle now, I carry it, and I just, you know, it just works for me. It really works in, in many different ways because it's light, and I do prefer, I think, if I can be up in a tree, I would prefer to be up in a tree. So, so the saddle, yeah, I I really like it. It is, um, it's just been good to me. I, I mean, like I said, as light as it is, as small as the platform is, I can put my sticks on the uh, platform. I use those six pounds. They work great. The saddle, I just wear it in. And if I stay on the ground at night, no big deal. Or if I need to, I've even, I think last season I told you about that, but I still they bought and I was literally setting in the saddle, but my feet were on the ground. It, but it just offered me that little bit of, you know, I was up high enough to where I could see over some of that foliage. It was lower. And man, I mean, it's so, to me, those things are so comfortable anyways. And the, the deer come through and it just works. And I love being able to use the tree kind of to my advantage, you know, for being in between the animal. I always set up with that, that in mind, trying to use that tree to, uh, to block me and the animal. Sure. Just peeking your head around instead of having your whole body exposed, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So two episodes ago, I had Dan Infold on and he said, and I'd like to get your opinion on this. He believes the early season, and Wisconsin's got a similar opener to Missouri, that that is possibly the best time to kill a truly mature animal. So I'd like to hear about any deer, because I know you've killed a lot of big ones. One, I guess, do you agree with Dan that the early season is possibly the best time to kill a mature deer? Have you killed any mature deer then or had any good encounters? Sure. Absolutely. Um, are you talking about specifically the opener or just like at the beginning of season there, like that early season? Coming from Michigan, our opener was always October 1st. It opened October 1st every year. So now being in Montana, it's the first Saturday or Missouri where you got a 15th or Wisconsin, you know, they have a, a second or third Saturday opener. So I guess I'm talking for me early season specifically being the opener and maybe that first week. Yeah, I definitely I agree with Dan on that one. I really would because it's, for one, a lot of times those deer, they haven't had that crazy pressure yet. They're still, I guess, depending on when your opener is. Now, if your opener is October 1, there's a lot of things that change even between September 15th and October 1. So, like, I hunt Illinois, too, but my early season hunts over there look a lot different than what they would in Missouri. You know, in Missouri, I'm still trying to target those soybeans or, you know, maybe the first few oaks that are dropping by October 1. Man, I mean, there could be, if there's a good mass crop that year, there could be, you know, acorns everywhere. Most of the beans are, you know, are pretty much at that point, the deer aren't really favoring them at all. They're not really using them at all. So the hunts look a lot different there, I guess. It would be depending on the, uh, the opener time frame but still if you can find one and you know where he's at i think that that is probably my favorite time to to go after one i'm gonna put you on the spot here can you think back to one or maybe two deer specifically that you've killed early season and describe what led up to that hunt maybe any intel before how you picked your stand location how the hunt went down any of those details yeah one that really sticks out to me was but this isn't, I don't know if this is a real great example of, of how it played out because of the situation and how it did unfold. But I'll use the one I killed uh, a few years ago with, uh, with a recurve actually. So I went in and I'd been, I knew this deer was in this area. Actually, it's 
a couple trail camera pictures of him. And it was an area that it was a flat kind of bottom field that he had worked his way out into that I, I could see him before season there, at least that's the last thing. And anyways, and I kind of knew where he was betting at. So I flipped in there, and I think I hunted twice in that area for him and really had pretty high hopes of him coming out of there. And he was, from what I saw, he was in that area. He was using it pretty regularly. So I, I threw them two hunts in there, and I didn't see anything. And I kind of looked at some sign on that, that field edge there, and I didn't really, I didn't see any of his tracks. I didn't see anything that, that led me to believe that he was still there. So there was a, uh, it was a, a rainy day, and I dove off in, I just went right off into the bedding area. And what I found was there was a guy that found, I guess he had seen a couple of the rubs around there. He literally set his climbing stand, or, uh, climate stand right up in the bedding area. Oh no. <laughs> well, along with a trail camera in there too. And this guy had been up and down this tree to the point that he was stripping 50% of the bark off this thing. I mean, he had been up and down it. So I knew right then and there, I'm like, uh, well, that's why I'm not seeing him. So, you know, I had to readjust and I thought if he's still in the public, he's likely up on this knob, maybe. So I just, I took and slipped up through there, worked my way up through there. I ended up jumping him off that knob. And then, you know, I was up there and I was kind of looking around at trees and looking around at some of the sign of how he was getting back in there. And my plan at that point was to come back and, and try to make an, a morning ambush on him in there. Well, lo and behold, you know, I just, as I'm doing all this, and I'm looking at the sign. I was in there and I know this because I sent a text out to my dad after I jumped the deer, I sent him text and then at the time they came back through, I noticed him coming back in and then I got, you know, I hunched down behind a tree and he just worked his way back in. It was 50, I think it was 50 minutes on the dot that he had worked his way back around and probably thought like anything that normally, you know, normally if you go through a person jumps a, a big deer like that or whatever and they, they kind of work their way on through the area or if it's a coyote or, or whatever it be. And he just so happened to work his way back in there and, and I was still there and was able to get an arrow in him. So it was a really exciting early season hunt. I mean, this is like September 20th, I want to say, September 25th, maybe, somewhere around that time frame. So it's the first first 10 days or so of season, we'll say. That's an awesome story. Yeah, it, it was a pretty cool hunt. It was one of those that was like, I wish I could say that's what I had planned, but I'd be lying if I said that. But it worked out, you know? I mean, I was in there, and, and then that one really kind of opened my eyes to uh, the possibility of that happening and unfolding and since then I've, I've actually had that happen a few times. So a couple of interesting points there that you mentioned that I want to get into a little more detail. The first is you said you knew he was betting there and I want to unpack that a little bit. Did you know he was betting there from your spring scouting, from maybe a previous year's encounter or an observation? How did you, what, what gave you the confidence that that deer was most likely in the bedding area where, where that guy ended up setting up? Uh, yeah, spring scouting. I knew that area pretty well. Um, I'd been in there. I'd hunted this spot for and multiple seasons. I'd been on it anyways for multiple seasons. And uh, what it was, again, was, you know, our early season could be, could be rather warm, and this was kind of a creek bottom that wasn't really all that far off this field, but this is the very back of the, the public. So, I mean, it is a it's a pretty good ways in there and not too many guys are going to hike back these hills, you know, in early season. So I thought to me, essentially I was looking at it like, well, this will be 
know, take because I mean, there's for one, I'm not gonna have pressure that I'm gonna have to deal with because nobody in their right mind's gonna walk this far in 90-something degree weather. Right. Well, I was I was wrong, but uh, I I don't know if this guy was coming in off the private or or how he was coming in, but he was back there and he had been back there a lot. But yeah, I had scouted that area many a times before, and and I had seen bachelor groups even in that area in previous seasons. So I, I was pretty sure of it based on, well, in the early season I'd been through there and I'd seen this track coming out of there. I had trail cameras, like, you know, pretty close to the edge of this field there. And I captured him on, you know, a couple different times there. So it didn't take much of that for me to, to know or to feel like I knew anyways where he was at. And I was pretty confident in that. And when he relocated, I really never found any buck bedding area up there, you know, before I knew it was a good thick area. But I just thought, and if he's if he did stay nearby, this is probably the most likely area that he went to. And man, I just it just so happened to work out. I got lucky. I really wasn't. I didn't even have a specific spot in mind. I just knew of this ridge that was kind of above that that offered some good, you know, fingers that came off of it, and uh, the possibility of him being up there on one of them, and and uh, it worked out. So for lack of a better term, and because I was going to specifically ask you how you found that second area, that was the the next most buckiest area, would you say? Yeah, it was, it was been the, the best option for him in that, that area, you know, close to that area anyways. Because essentially out on the, on the private, you had quite a bit of field out through there for him to get to the, we'll say to like the more timber and stuff. I think they, from what I could look on the aerial, map that looked like they had some CRP fields and stuff like that but so I felt like I was like oh man he could have easily you know relocated over into that but yeah he, he got up on this uh, ridge that, that had several fingers that, that jutted down off of it and I'd always wondered in the past when I got it through there I never really saw too much sign in there that led me to believe that there there were bucks setting up there and especially some good bucks but uh, you know that sometimes signs can be deceiving i mean it doesn't always mean that there is or isn't a good one in there i mean if you're scouting in the springtime and you're looking at that stuff and it, it could be an early season buck bedding area it could be the most mature buck bedding in that area in early season and maybe he's just not laying down a whole lot of sign and then there's not any bedding sign there you know late in the season that's something he's to overlook i think that's why some in-season scouting early season if you don't really have anything that you feel pretty confident about and get out there and look you know don't don't just go set and hope i mean i I did that plenty in the past years and i've learned that that is uh, a very that's a very good way to waste time in the woods so i i like to get out and look i really like to get out and scout and don't worry about pumping them too much i know that's one of the big uh, common features between the way we hunt now because that's something that i didn't do early on and the more experience I get, and, and it's easier out here too, so I will say that, but even in Michigan towards the end there, that was something I was doing a lot more, was getting a lot more aggressive with in-season scouting, and then finding something to set up on as opposed to rotating through spots that I had found in the past, but didn't necessarily have hot sign on them you know, that year. Did you see your encounters and stuff to go up to with that? Absolutely, and some of them have been during the rut, but the... I would last year the buck that I killed in Montana uh, I bumped it the day before and that was an early season hunt I think I got that like the second week of September and 
my two biggest bucks that I've killed during the rut. Um, I saw them both the day before I killed them and I bumped them both. So I think that's not, not that you want to get wild with, with that. We've kind of talked about that. You, you want to be tempered, right? But if right. it happens, then that's something to definitely key a, in on. Or if you don't have anything going on, what do you have to lose? Sure. And that's, so that's one thing that I think I've had some buddies kind of rib me in the past a little bit about like, when I've done podcasts, I've talked about, you know, like, oh, I'm just, I'm going in, I'm trying to bump them. I say that lightly because it, it's not really my full, I would much rather find some sign of them outside of their bedding area and be able to set up on them that even versus bumping them and then, you know, whatever, hoping that they come back that day or the next day. Because the more you're in there and the more you do kind of muddy that spot up, you know, it, it, it gets pretty tough on the big animals. So, you know, I, I think I say that loosely and lightly because i i don't want everybody to especially if you're inexperienced i think going out there and just running through the woods a lot of times it's probably going to kick those deer up you know a pretty good well and we'll say before you ever see them you know you're 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 probably right. maybe not even going to get a chance to see them or even hear them if you're not uh careful with it so it's not that it's not easy I think we talked about this a little bit, but I think it's worth reiterating. And, and I know I do this and I think that's something you do too. When I'm in season scouting, I'm always walking into the wind and I'm always walking at a real deliberate, like measured start stop pace. Um, we, and we talked about this before too. If it's a, an area that you're fairly certain is going to have a deer, then yeah, I'll burn through that. But anything that looks like it might have a buck, uh, I'm almost still hunting through during that time of year looking for sign and i like you said ideally you set up before you bump a deer when you start seeing good sign but sometimes you bump them that happens yeah exactly now one other thing on this topic and i want to kind of do a hypothetical scenario here so i want you to be the climbing tree stand guy but not exactly i want to, I want you to imagine that you found this area. Let's say you'd never scouted it, you'd never hunted it before, and you were out in-season scouting, and you came on this area, the buck bedding, the rubs, and then you maybe, let's say, you put a camera out after that. This is all hypothetical. What did this guy do wrong? What would you do different? I'm not picking on this poor guy too bad, but he obviously was in there too much, and he burned up the area. What would be your approach if this was a new-to-you area? like it was to that guy and what would you do different? Oh, well, he set up literally like right in the core of the bedding area with his climbing. Man, unless you catch him that first time coming back in there, you know, uh, that that's pretty much game over for that. So don't set up right on the bed. I, I wouldn't have, no, I wouldn't have set up right on the bed. Um, the sign, I would have scouted the sign. I would have looked at the sign and that's what I was doing when I just happened to kill him. So I would have looked at the sign as to, you know, well, first off, probably I would have tried to get him on a evening hunt. I would have looked at the fields over here. This is the, the bedding area. It's probably a hundred, a little over a hundred yards, 120 yards or something like that apart. So he was bedding relatively close to it. So I would have looked at the sign there. I would have looked and seen if I thought I could slip in there quietly and, you know, got up close to that field edge or whatever just as close as i could get to that bedding area based on the sign coming out of it um in that direction and, and set up you know according to that you know this is all i guess too if i'm if it's the first time i'm in there and i'm scouting and i and i see this obviously i've, I've bumped him out of there right so 
I'm probably going to scramble now if I do that and try to try to maybe move toward the, the downwind side of, of the setting area, and I'll probably just hang there for the evening. I mean, I, I, I really, depending on how you bump them deer, you know, I really feel like they, if it's not a hard bump and they're, and they're you know, they didn't catch your wind or whatever it be, you know, that there's, there's definitely some good odds of them deer coming, turning around and coming back in that evening. But aside of all that, if I'm just scouting and I found this early, you know, and I'm going to come back and find it, that would have been, I would have set up on an evening or, you know, if I thought there was good sign, if I could really see some good signs coming back into there, maybe I would have tried a morning ambush on him and try to catch him coming back in there, you know. It's so tricky, I think, in the morning, early season, because I do feel like, I don't know, around here anyways, it's so, it's, it's humid, the air is so moist, and those deer just, gosh, man, it just seems like they can just, they bust you from a long ways out. So maybe I would have tried to target the day when we had like a little front coming in that's been knocking the humidity out of the air or something like that, to where I just felt like, you know, my chances of him busting me would have been a little less likely. Um, Cause that's one thing I've noticed, like this humid air down here, man, trying to beat a mature animal in the early season, the humid air, golly, I don't know. I, I can't seem to do it. It just, it's just so tough. You know, that scent just hangs around and if there ain't a, a decent wind or something like that, man, it's a lot. I may have brought this up on podcast before, but every time I hear people like you say humidity, uh, I had a German Shepherd and I got my dog in early 2010. And at the time I wanted to teach it to track. So I bought a tracking book by, I believe the guy's name is Glenn Johnson. And this guy did a ton of empirical experiments, basically putting, putting his dogs in all sorts of different conditions to see what was more optimal scenting conditions and what was tougher for the dog. And I hear a lot of people online saying, oh, check your trail cameras after a good rain. Well, I think there should be a caveat to that. I think it should be after a torrential downpour because uh, time and time again in this book, and I, I would have to imagine that deer are similar enough to a dog where this is applicable. Obviously, it's not the same animal. But he said ideal scenting conditions were like humid, dewy, moist mornings because somehow that reactivates the scent. And the the dogs had the toughest time on windy, dry days. So... I started checking my trail cameras more on windy, dry days as opposed to, you know, after rain. Again, unless I knew it was going to rain two inches that night as opposed to, you know, a half inch. I think that's just my opinion, um, and that's based on one book I read. But I think that kind of stuff is important. No, that I would agree 100% on that because uh, I grew up doing a lot of rabbit hunting, and we hunted with eagles. And my grandpa used to always tell us, I mean, he was he was an old timer and I mean, he lived for that. Like he hunted with dogs and he hunted coyotes with dogs, uh, rabbits, eagle squirrel. And he would always tell us like on those days, the nights, you know, like he got up the next morning and there was a, a steady breeze blowing all night long. There wasn't much to do out in the yard. I mean, he would tell us, he'd be like, we can go hunt today, but it's going to be a tough hunt. And of course, back then as a youngster, you know, I, I I'm like, hey, man, if I can go hunting, let's, let's go hunting. So, right. you know, we would go and it would just be like, and you're just like working your tail off all day just to try to get it, just to kill a rabbit unless you jump shoot it, you know, or something like that. Or, but if the dogs jump one and you, you call them over there and try to put them on it, it was like they had such a hard time. 
to uh, to even stay on that that rabbit. Like it would make a circle at two, man. It was pretty much game over. So I'd agree 100. percent Then if you had those days where it was hot or warm and humid that night, or you know a heavy dew layer out over everything, I don't want to say hot because we know when it's hot too much, but a heavy dew or frost that would you know burn off that mid morning, man, about eight o'clock when that sun got up and the, the frost would start melting off. If those dogs hit a rabbit, unless the thing went to a hole, that thing was dead because I mean they would run that thing until somebody shot it. Yeah. So I, I would agree 100 percent with that. I've seen that a lot when I was growing up hunting with uh, beagles. No, it's good to hear it. Good to hear it from another perspective too. So, I think uh, maybe the takeaway here. This is just me paraphrasing. As if you've got an early season spot where you don't have, uh, you know, an ideal stand or wind conditions, I'd prefer something with a little steadier. Well, I mean, steadier wind's always better, obviously, but. I'd be focusing my hunt on a steadier wind with a lower humidity day and, and trying to capitalize then if you have the choice. Yeah, 100% on that. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to say, after I read that book, I looked back on some of the hunts where I'd been busted, and I can think of two specifically, where I had uh, these were during the rut, and it was humid days like after a rain or just generally humid. That happens a lot in Michigan too where a doe came in and there was very little wind and I know my scent was just pooling around in that high humidity air all around my tree and they busted me at like 30 yards and you know the buck 10 15 yards behind him still so that really set it in stone for me uh again that's just my opinion and my observations limited sample size but I don't like calm humid days at all I don't either I'm with you there 100 percent I've seen the same thing and I've been busted sometimes where I'm just like and what in the world? Like there, you know, there's no way you got me down there. But yeah, those animals can smell, and I've heard, you know, I don't, I'm no expert on this, but I've heard that they can. I think they have more even scent receptors than than your average dog or whatever. I, I'm not real sure on that, but either way, they can smell right there with a with a dog. So from what I've seen, based on that alone, yeah, the humid weather, and that's what's so tough around here is we have so much of it in the early season. It's just so tough. It really is. It's a tough game to get out there and just kill a mature animal. Uh, you know, because a lot of times you're, even if you're doing it in the evenings and it's, it's been a relatively humid day, you know, when all that, that air kind of stops moving and the thermals start taking into play with them big deer, the way they move, they take those thermals into, you know, into account when they're moving into, moving out of areas. And it's just tough, man. It's, it's really a tough game. Yeah, and that's something uh, on that podcast with Dan we talked about also because we specifically were talking about early season tactics. And he mentioned thermals a lot too. And he said, obviously, you've got to pay attention to the wind direction. But the time of the evening when the big bucks are generally moving is also the time early season when the wind dies off often and then the thermals override whatever the wind was doing. So your setup's got to take both of those into account. Right, 100%. And I think that's relative to... Yeah, thermals are such a tricky thing. I think they're thrown around a lot out there. I, I don't know. From my experience alone, like if you've got a cloudy day and as the evening sets, like those thermal, that thermal play isn't the same. You know, like it's, if you have a, a day where it's 93 and it's going to cool off to, you know, whatever, even 80, 83 or 84, you know, that's enough that it's, it's definitely going to affect the thermals. But some of them cloudy, if it's a more so cloudy day, even a mostly cloudy or partly cloudy day, the thermal play may not be the 
the same as you know as it would be the temperature span is is a big factor in thermal play so if it's a big drop in the evening you're going to see more thermal play as opposed to just a day where it's been kind of steady temperatures and that carries on into the evening so thermals may not be as big a deal sometimes you can use that to your favor too the only bad thing is, is generally on them if we're talking early season you know on them cloudy days like that the humidity level is, is what you're battling in because it's and it just stays humid as it can be all day long. So you've got so much, you know, of that in the air. So it's—I don't know. There's a lot of things to factor in there. There really is. Yeah, they—they've got all the advantages. It seems like it's tough to figure out. They do. They definitely do. Okay. Well, I want to switch gears one more time here, and I want to talk about your 2021 season. That's just around the corner. And first of all. Do you set goals for yourself? And I'm not just talking about inches of antler. It could be anything, you know, have fun, see a new area, whatever. Do you set goals and why or why not? That's a good question. I I don't specifically set goals. I do try to, because there's some years where, you know, like you just said, for instance, like have fun. There's some years where I'm, I'm so, and this might be counterintuitive, but like goal oriented, like I, my goal is to, you know, if I know of a specific mature deer my goal is to kill that deer you know like i'm so focused and driven on that deer because it's so hard to find a mature animal in missouri anymore and plus i don't want to sound like i'm crying or warning about this but you know limited time and all that stuff on i mean it's it's tough to do even if you can hunt them all season long well you factor in limited time so it's, it's tough you know and you put a lot of pressure on yourself to get those animals down so I, I have to tell myself, I do, I have to tell myself sometimes, like, man, you know, have fun with this. You you love it. You know, make sure you, you get out there and enjoy it. And I, and I have pulled myself at this season because I do know of a really nice buck that is using some public. And, man, I have been pretty much solely focused on that deer. Normally, I'm over in Illinois looking a little bit, and I've been pretty focused on that deer. And I'm like, I have to check myself on that. I'm like, yeah, all right. Keep searching out there for others too. You know, don't just get hung up on one deer because that's bit me in the in the tail and uh, a few times in the past. But yeah, for setting goals, I wouldn't say I I necessarily set goals, um, but I do usually try to you know at the beginning of the season work on something that I felt like I failed to do the season before, and I think last season was I put a lot of pressure on myself. So get back to having fun and enjoy it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you said that because I kind of. I even grinned, you know, I was sitting here, I'm like, that's kind of what I've been telling myself, just make sure I have fun, you know, because that's why we do this. We have, we do it because we, you know, you enjoy it. I mean, that's what I got into it for. I enjoyed it. So I try not to put that, that big burden or that big pressure laid on my uh, shoulders to carry around all season. That can wear you down. I'm sure you, you probably experienced that yourself, maybe in the past. Yeah. And I think that's just the, uh, anybody that's, and I don't know if competitive is the right word. And, and I think if, if I am using the word competitive, it's competitive with yourself, not necessarily with other people. You want to set targets or you want to continue progressing is probably a better word for me. Anyways, I want to progress. I want to challenge myself more. And a lot of times that challenge comes in the form of a bigger deer or an older deer or whatever that is. And I don't want to progress or challenge myself so much that I suck all the fun out of it. So I definitely try to keep that in mind. And, and, uh, I've went backwards a few times as far as shooting you know smaller deer or younger deer 
And, but I've been completely happy with that because that's not always what it's all about, at least not for me. So try to keep that stuff in mind. Yeah, and you hit it too. I mean, I, man, competitive is, is a very, very good way to, I guess, describe myself as I am. I, I've always been, well, I was super competitive in sports and stuff like that. So, and, it, and it's not competitive with, you know, like you said, it's not the next guy or anything. It's just, I feel like it's like, you know, it's a competition between me and that animal too. And, uh, <laughs> I hate to lose, <laughs> but I've right. lost more than I've lost way more than I've won. I, I can promise you that I've lost a lot more than I've won. So, yeah, it's it's. I guess you know there's different ways to look at it, but I guess I do set goals like that. Like I, you know, I always want to succeed. I always want to improve. I always want to feel like that I'm learning something new every year too. But but to keep it fun at the same time. And then you mentioned Illinois. So do you typically do you hunt Illinois every year? And we be hunting. Any other states this fall? I will be hunting Illinois, or at least I hope to be. Yeah, probably not any other states. Again, I, I'm trying to do some things in, here in the future, hopefully, that allow for a lot more time hunting, maybe possibly making a move with the family. So uh, get back closer to my family and, and then have a little bit more help with, uh, you know, with the little, little one and all that. Plus, the amount of public is ridiculous, so I'd, I'd just be... I don't know. I'd be in heaven if I led back down there because <laughs> there's so much public ground around there. But, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I do hunt Illinois. I've hunted it. I hunted it last year. I did not hunt it in 2019. There was a major flood that year and it, I mean, everything over there in the bottoms and stuff is underwater. And I did some scouting up through the hills and I don't know. I, it just really wasn't worth the buying a tag that year. But I hunted in uh, 2018. I think I started hunting the first time I hunted Illinois. might have been in 2015, somewhere around there. And I've kind of sporadically hunted it um, since then, you know, a little bit here and there. But, yeah, I do have plans on it this year. Well, that's good. You uh, And then you have, what, two buck tags in Missouri, and then you'll have one in Illinois? Correct. Yep, I'll have, uh, I'll have an early season buck tag. Or, well, I think in early season I'll have a um, – a buck tag that I can fill before our rifle season with a bow. Uh, and our rifle season is generally the second Saturday in November. And then you can use that second buck tag to either kill a buck with a rifle or, and I really haven't done a whole lot of rifle hunting in the past few years. Or if you don't, then you can use it for the late bow season. And then, yeah, Illinois is, uh, is one for the non-resident, one buck tag. Okay, and then last question here. I want to wrap up with this. We're coming up on an hour, and I know you're busy. I said I wouldn't keep you more than an hour. So I asked Dan Infault this question as well. I'm still extremely new to September hunting. This will be my third year of September hunt. Knowing that, what would you tell a guy in my position who lives in a state with an October archery opener who's thinking about hunting either a new state with an early opener like Kentucky or North Dakota what would you say would be your top two or three tips? Um, and it's, I think you're a great person to ask because you talk about hunting Illinois with an October 1st opener and how things are so much different. So what do you do different those first week, 10 days in Missouri that give you an advantage uh, versus what you would do in Oct uh, the October 1st opener in Illinois? Well, so I'm talking about like here, you know, heat is, is probably the one big factor which we can still carry our heat on into October. But generally, you know, in that September time, I mean, I am battling uh, days that are pushing 90 degrees. 
and high humidity. So factoring both of those things in, keeping that in mind, the deer really seem to favor those lower areas, the creek bottoms, cooler shaded areas, you know, whatever it be. They just try to, it's just like, I think it'd be like, you know, if me or you were, were living out there, like we're not going to go lay out, you know, somewhere in the middle of the sun or, or, you know, even if it's up high on a point, you know, where in the hill country, typically these, these bucks do spend some time out. I think more so for me in early season, I find more of them down lower, down in these lower areas and these, these, uh, you know, whether it's a river bottom, creek bottom, whatever it is, look, look for them down in them lower areas. And then if you don't find them down there, then, you know, revert to the points and stuff like that. But keeping the heat would be a big one, keeping that in mind. And then the food, you know, that, like I said, the soybeans around here in September are still green. So you, you know, the deer are still, that's, that's probably where they're heading to. That's probably a pretty good starting point to, Checking field edges, especially if you get a decent rain and you can get out, you know, a day or so after that, check those field edges, see, look at the tracks and, and definitely pay attention to where those tracks, if you find a set of tracks and you can follow them, follow them back to where those tracks came into the field at or where they came into the field at. And, you know, just keep all that stuff in mind, you know, looking at, it's so hard, but like looking at mass crops, if, if there's, if you can find those first oaks, in an area that are dropping around that September 15th, because I mean, I have found them, especially if you get a, like a good windstorm or something like that coming through and it knocks a few down. And that can be, that can be a pretty good spot to, to set your sights on too, especially if you know of a good buck bedding area, but you know, buck location nearby. Um, I, I would definitely keep that in mind too. So. Yeah, I think I think heat and humidity though is is one thing that the last few years I've really I've noticed that it just can make or break a hunt for me. Those high humidity days anymore, I'm better off. But probably if I can, you know, and it and it's not favorable, but step back and, and observe. Okay, I want to ask you one more question on you said the cool low lying areas, and this is something that I've been paying attention to much more in Montana because of elk season. And that's specifically north-facing slopes. And I don't know if it was an article or a hunting beast post, but Joel Singer talked about some of his best early season hunts in October in Iowa. He was specifically targeting north-facing slopes because those bucks were bedding in certain areas when it was hotter versus when it was cooler. Have you noticed anything like that in your observations or maybe some of your early season spots? Have you sure. looked yeah. at the correlation there to, to north-facing slopes? Absolutely. I have. I will say the difference, and I can't speak for Joe, but I think, I mean, I've talked to Joe quite a bit on this, or a few times anyways. He's he's dealing with like some pretty steep hill country, you know, kind of bluff uh, stuff even. And that is, that is definitely favorable. So if you're talking the bluff country, which like in Illinois, for instance, I do hunt a lot of bluff country over there and those steeper slopes like that. And there is a huge difference on the northern facing slopes down off of them. And sometimes these things are insanely steep. And these deer will literally bed, from what I found over there, you know, just above a tree where it's like a little flat spot on the side of a, you know, more or less a cliff. That's your cliff. I mean, some of them, right. amazing, and some deer can, you know, navigate through them. But yeah, I have. Uh, in the rolling hills and stuff like that, I have found it. But again, 
the more and more I look back on trail camera data, the more I think back on hunts, the more I think back on scouting and just where I've bumped into these deer. For me, and the more, you know, the rolling hills, I, I found much more of them in the, the lower lying areas, like the, on a, on a warm day, you know, and if it's hot and typically okay. here it is. All good information. I think that would be the difference, you know, there. Uh, Joe, I mean, he definitely knows his stuff on the hills and, and stuff, but I, I do believe he hunts some uh, pretty deep, fluffy country too. So that is something to keep in mind, though. That's why I was bringing it up because, like I said, I know he had mentioned something that, about that and again the the areas that i all hunt they're probably they're not bluffs but they're steeper slopes and probably the rolling hills that where you're hunting and i was just curious if there's any crossover there yeah sure there, there definitely is i mean i've noticed it in the rolling hills too especially you know pressure if the pressure's down low down there sure man they're going to be up on those uh those north facing slopes you know and and some people say yeah the wind's coming off you know over their back that's why they're there i, I really think early season it's where those deer can find comfort and security you know if you if you can find both of those in a spot then you know you're probably looking at an area that if there's a mature deer around good chance you'd be in that area yeah absolutely well hey justin really appreciate you again taking the time i know you're busy we're running up on an hour here so we're gonna cut this off you have any final words you'd like to say uh no i don't guess so um i appreciate you having me on Hopefully we both have a good uh, good start to the to the twenty one season here. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I know you said you got a buck that you're targeting, and I've got one or two in mind. One that I saw last year and I actually missed. I'm hoping to catch up with. Don't know if he's alive still. And then uh, I found a shut off a real big one that I think is two years old. But the area that he was in was snowed in all year last year, so I think it got very little to no hunting pressure. So. He could be a real big mule deer, too. So I'm hoping to catch up with one of those, too. Well, that's nice. That is nice. I will say this is kind of funny story just uh, to throw something else out there real quick. So I last year, this same buck that I'm talking about, like late season, I had some uh, encounters on him, and I had some truck camera pictures of him the past two seasons. And it, he's kind of a – it's funny how this year works. So I found him in the early season in, what would that have been, 19 – and he was, I'm guessing, a three-and-a-half-year-old deer yeah, that year. And I got a few pictures of him. Of course, he was a great-looking deer. And I ain't going to lie. I mean, that year I would have I would have shot him probably. I can't remember what I was after that year. But, if, I mean, if that deer would have walked out in front of me early season, I probably would have shot him. He had a great, beautiful rack on him. Um, and, he, you know, three-and-a-half-year-old deer around here is kind of a kind of a hard deer to pass up. But anyway, sure. uh, I didn't. And then last year, I seen him. He was on the, the public until October 1st was the last time I got a picture of him. And I got a picture of him on like a Wiccan branch. And he vanished and did not show. And I kind of, I dumped quite a few trail cameras in on this property and uh, did not show back up until December 22nd. And then I hunted him on up till our closer, which I think was the 15th of January. And I had a few close encounters with him well so i thought this was one deer and what i've come to to realize looking back on some, some pictures and actually looking at him a little bit closer he's got a big g3 that comes up on him and this other deer that i thought was him has a also has a big g3 but he kind of has more of a he has a longer main beam a longer frame kind of a little bit wider frame to him 
until the other day I'm looking back through and I'm I realizing like I've got two mature animals on this one property and I couldn't find a single mature animal on any other property. So it's kind of funny, you know, but, huh. but it is, it isn't the same deer and they're both using kind of the same area, but I think they're using it at a different time. So uh, it, it's interesting. I'm trying, I'm still trying to find the, the other one of the two. Now I've gotten pictures of, of the one that, you know, the, the longer G3 bunk and he's actually got a split coming off of it. So, but the other one, I'm, I'm really interested to see what he uh, might've turned into if he wasn't um, harvested last season. Well, I'll say a prayer for both of those deer. Cause if you're hunting them, they're probably going to need it. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. <laughs> All right. Well, Hey, thanks again for taking the time. And uh, we have talked about maybe doing a train podcast in the future. So when schedules are a little more permitting, I'd like to have you on again at some point in the future. Absolutely. More than willing. I appreciate you having me on. All right, man. Take care. Thank you.